I wonder, at this time, are you asking the question, as we face this coronavirus crisis and have been doing now for a little while, what on earth is God doing? What on earth is God doing? What's the plan? It reminds me of a time about 20 years ago that I was asking a similar question in more trivial circumstances. 20 years ago, I used to play rugby, not very well. And uh, the rugby team that I was a part of, we were not a good team. We were not playing very well either as a team, not winning much, not achieving much. In fact, we were known as the spooners, the wooden spooners of that particular season of that year. And for us as a team, what we needed to know, though, was, uh, apart from how to play rugby, was what was the plan. Our coach, with all honour to the guy, was not a rugby coach. Uh, He was the publican of the pub that sponsored us as a club. He didn't really know how to play rugby, and neither did we. We always wanted to know how to play and what's the plan during a game. There was one particular game towards the end of the season. We hadn't won a single game all season. And this one particular game, uh, the opposition had scored against us again. And if you know rugby, that means they scored a try. And we were under our posts waiting for what's called the conversion, the kick to get some extra points from the opposition. And as we were standing there waiting, uh, kind of trying to catch our breath, our coach comes screaming down the sideline and he's screaming at us. He's saying, I want you to get to Mongrel India. I want to get to Mongrel India. And we looked at each other and thought, well, we, yeah, okay, but what's the plan? And as he came towards us, he came with his plan. He said this, if they score again before halftime, no one gets water at halftime. Great plan. Great plan. Well, they did. And no one got water at halftime. Do you ever feel like, kind of like, you know, particularly in a coronavirus crisis, you want to know what's the plan, and perhaps if anyone was in control, if you believe in God or you don't, you perhaps wonder, has someone who was in control taken their hands off the steering wheel? And you just want to know, what on earth is going on? And for us as believers in Jesus, perhaps we secretly ask that question in our hearts, what on earth is God doing? What's the plan, God? Like, what are you using this season for? What is the plan here? What's your plan for our lives? We're about to enter a new series in the book of Acts. And the book of Acts answers that question. We have been, for the last term, term one, up until Easter, traveling in the book of Luke, Luke's gospel, Luke's gospel, his good news story of Jesus as Jesus enters our world in the incarnation, God in flesh, we saw at Christmas time in 2019, and then we entered 2020, and we continued walking in Luke's gospel as we saw Jesus grow up. As we saw Jesus as every other person, just like you and I face every temptation. As we saw Jesus then conduct his ministry of compassion and care and love as he embraced people and welcomed people. Sinners, sick, all those including you and I, Jesus welcomes. And then he does something for us. He willingly, in Luke's gospel, goes to a cross. He goes to a place of execution and humiliation. He dies on a cross for our sin, Good Friday, and then he rises again for our hope, secured, and that is Resurrection Sunday. 
we've been traveling in Luke's gospel. The reason we're in Luke's gospel was we wanted to see God's vision for the world. Last year when we were planning our preaching series for our church, our discipleship series for our church, we wanted to see what is God's vision. Every church organization was planning their 2020 vision years ago or last year, weren't they? We were doing the same. But we wanted to see not what we had for our vision for our church and our city of Bendigo and our region of Victoria, but what we wanted to see is God's vision. And where do we get God's vision for the world? It's in His Word, the Bible. And His vision is laid out for us very helpfully in Luke's Gospel and in His second volume, the Book of Acts, which is why now you are watching Reforming Online as we move into Term 2, we're going to be in the Book of Acts. Welcome to Reforming Online. My name is Russ. I am one of the elders of Reforming Church. I get to serve as preaching elder. It's my privilege, therefore, to open the Book of Acts with you for Term 2. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you for sending your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, We thank you that we have the plan given to us in the scriptures where you speak to us. We want to hear you speak and so now speak to us from the scriptures, from the Bible. We want to hear the plan. Show us the plan. Show us your vision for the world from the gospel of Luke and from the book of Acts. And we ask this, that you would show us Jesus and what he's doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the book of Acts, I do hope you've got a Bible and you can turn there now. If you don't have a Bible, you can probably on our website uh, look up the Bible readings which are there. Go to the front page and see that website and look up those Bible readings. But it's going to be so helpful for you to have a Bible. And and I want to say a paper Bible because a paper Bible is going to help you be able to locate and picture in your mind where things are, which you can't quite get on a screen. But in a paper Bible, you can see, I see the chapters and the layout. I see the, the, 20, uh, the, the 28 chapters of Luke's gospel, uh, sorry, of, of the book of Acts, the 28 chapters laid out there and how it relates to Luke's gospel, which is the previous volume. You see, the book of Acts is kind of like a boxed set. So before Netflix was popular or Stan or whatever it is you watch your series on, your favorite series, um, we had box sets. But it's kind of the same thing, right? Uh, it's, it's a series. The book of Acts is a series like the book of Luke was a series. It's a series of episodes. It's a series of episodes about real people with real struggles, uh, real heroes and real hostility and real problems that they face in their lives which connect to our real lives today. The book of Acts is going to be helpful for us because it's grounded in the real world, grounded in a world gone wrong, grounded in a world gone wrong by the things around us and the things around us that go wrong, human evil, that is sin, or perhaps calamities and tragedies which we see in our world, which we often call natural disasters, but even things like a coronavirus These are real-world problems, and they're really in the world because of the world is broken by human sin. The world is cursed, it is judged, it is groaning under these things. And the book of Acts is written in the real world. It is not a work of fiction. It is a work of fact, of history. And Luke, who writes this, has been at pains to show that these things have happened in the real world. 
The book of Acts we desperately need because it desperately gives us good news about us in our world of bad news and it shows us how Jesus has come with a plan. He's got a plan. God's got a plan. He's got this and he's following his plan even when things go wrong, even when there's hostility to the gospel, to hostility to Jesus himself, even when things are hard in the world and there's sin and sickness. God's got a plan. In this particular sermon today, uh, I want us to see this plan laid out by its introduction in Acts chapter 1. We're going to be in Acts chapter 1, up to verse 26 of the whole chapter 1. And we see in this episode, this plan laid out, and there's, there's four parts to this. And you'll see the outline there on our website, but four parts. Firstly, we're going to look at the book of Acts and see particularly the Acts of who? Who is it the Acts of? Uh, secondly, we're going to be looking at the question. The question that the first disciples who are just kind of living in a bit of a disorientated state after Jesus' cross and resurrection, they're they're kind of like, what's the plan? That's their question. And thirdly, uh, we're going to look at that plan. What is the plan here? And fourthly, we're going to see how to read the book of Acts, which is going to help us immensely if we're going to understand what God is saying to us in the book of Acts. And that's our four-part plan for this sermon, and that will help us to see where we're up to and what God is saying to us in this book. Firstly, the book of Acts is the Acts of who? That's our first question, the Acts of who? Uh, You might have in your Bibles there, your paper Bibles, I hope you have laid out in front of you, a chapter one ready to go. Uh, You might have there, written as a title, the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, Most Bibles will have something like that. And it's okay to kind of understand and assume that's what it would be called, is the Acts of the Apostles. Um, But I want you to notice this. It's not really about the apostles. Like the apostles are involved and we'll see what is an apostle, who is an apostle in this sermon, in chapter 1. It's very important for us to see to understand what God's doing in the world through the apostles. But it's not actually primarily about the apostles. In fact, you'll see in the first half of the book of Acts, and there's kind of two main apostles that, that get mentioned. In the first half, it's, it's Peter, and the second half, it's Paul. And you, you kind of read about them, but you'll even notice they're not the main characters in this book. You see, the main character in the book of Acts is not Peter and it's not Paul, it's Jesus. Jesus is the main character. Uh, We know this, in fact, by the way, that that Luke, who writes both Luke's Gospel and the book of Acts, they are two-part volume by Luke, who is a physician, he's a doctor. Uh, We know this from Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, that Luke is a doctor. But he writes, uh, not just as a medical uh, person, which he, you know, he writes about miracles and he writes about sickness, and he can do so as a medical doctor. He he is not... um, He's not a dummy. Luke is not saying that that every single sickness is caused by a demon. He's not saying that. He's a medical doctor and he writes as a medical doctor clearly, historically, these things that he has examined, like a medical examiner would examine the facts. That's what Luke does. So he writes about things in Luke's gospel. This is this is a sickness that Jesus healed someone by and this is a demon that he cast out. He He writes with that kind of accuracy the facts. And the way he introduces Luke's gospel and the way he introduces the book of Acts is telling, it actually tells us what these books are about or who these books are about. 
So if you go to the start of Luke's gospel, which is his first volume, you've got to go back, just go back, you've got to go back past John's gospel and then Luke's gospel in your Bible and you'll see chapter uh, 1 of Luke's gospel, the first few verses, Luke writes this, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word who have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that have been taught. Luke writes his gospel, the good news of Jesus, he writes that so that Theophilus and us can have certainty. Now, who is Theophilus? Uh, we don't know fully, but we can speculate. We can see perhaps from what Luke says that Theophilus perhaps was a, an, uh, perhaps a person in an honorary position. Uh, most excellent Theophilus may indicate he's kind of a politician or a, a ruler. Um, we do know from his name, his name's got some meaning. So, Theo, uh, Theos, God, uh, Phyllis, uh, perhaps lover of. So, Theophilus perhaps was someone who could be a believer, but he could be also a skeptic or someone on the spectrum between believing and skeptic and, and therefore that's why Luke writes his gospel so that Theophilus may have certainty. Perhaps he's a new believer. Perhaps he's like those first followers of Jesus who saw the risen Jesus and it totally blew away their worldview, which is our worldview that people don't rise from the dead. And for Theophilus, he's, he's heard this and he, he's believing this, but it's so disorientating because we're, not, we're just not used to people rising from the dead. And so Luke writes to Theophilus, perhaps a new believer or perhaps been a skeptic to a new believer on that kind of spectrum, and he says, I'm writing this so you may have certainty of the things that have been happening, the things of Jesus. That's how he writes his first volume. And notice how he writes his second volume. He, he writes his second volume, not just that, that Theophilus can have confidence in what Jesus has done in his life, death, and resurrection, but you go back to the book of Acts, and we look at his introduction, Luke's introduction to the book of Acts, and he says this, in the first book, O Theophilus, so he writes to Theophilus again and to us, he writes to Theophilus the first book, Luke's gospel, my gospel account of the Lord Jesus Christ, he says this, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Notice this. This is how we understand what is the book of Acts about. If Luke's gospel is about Jesus and all that Jesus began to do and teach and what he did at the cross and in his resurrection so that Theophilus can have confidence that this is true. If that's what Jesus has begun to do, that's his first volume. What is the book of Acts? It's what Jesus continues to do. It's what Jesus continues to do. It's, it's Jesus continuing his ministry in the world, his work in the world. That's what the book of Acts is. I've got Christian friends that would say, we need to say it's, it's the acts of the Holy Spirit. And that's, 
and kind of true. You can see that because the Holy Spirit is working throughout the book of Acts. But the Holy Spirit's role, if we were to do, and that's a whole other sermon series, which we can do another time, the Holy Spirit's role, if we actually read the Bible on the Holy Spirit, which is the words of the Holy Spirit, that's what the Holy Spirit, the Bible is, it's the, the Spirit-breathed Word. When the Spirit speaks, He actually speaks about Jesus. He's always wanting to point to Jesus, never to Himself. And so, yes, the Holy Spirit is working, but look what the Holy Spirit authors and says through Luke, he says, this second volume is not primarily the acts of the Holy Spirit, it's what Jesus began to do and teach, it's what he's doing now in his teaching, in his work in the world. So what is the book of Acts? Your Bible may entitle it the Acts of the Apostles, it may say that, you may want to call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit, but I want to suggest, in fact, I want to teach this. If we really want to see what the book of Acts is about, it is the ongoing acts of Jesus by his Holy Spirit through the apostles in the world. Let me say that again. The book of Acts, and if you want, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a kind of a writer in my Bible, so I write notes in my Bible with a pencil. Um, I've tried pen, it's just too much for me, so I've gone to pencil again. It just works for me. I write in my Bible, and I write next to that, yes, Acts of the Apostles, but I write this. This book is the ongoing Acts of Jesus by his Spirit through his apostles in the world. If you want to shorten that, this book is The Acts of Jesus, Volume 2. That's what this book is. It's the Acts of Jesus. And if we see that, that it's the Spirit-empowered witness of the apostles in the world for us, and Jesus is the primary character. He's the person doing this work by his Spirit. You'll see it's the very work of God. And so that makes this book not a human job. It's God's job. This is God's work in the world. Which means we again come to that question, what on earth is God doing? And that's why the book of Acts answers that question. That was the question of those first followers of Jesus, those early disciples. In Luke's Gospel, which we just finished with on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, so Luke's Gospel, we followed it, we walked all the way through it, we were preaching through it, and a discipleship groups, and we're doing that as a church gathered and as groups gathered, and then, of course, the coronavirus crisis hit, and now the whole world, um, by and large, is in social distancing and isolation. We can't gather, which is why we've moved our church online, although it's, I want to say it's not really church. Um, uh, the church, the word church, ecclesia, in Greek New Testament word, means gather, so we're kind of doing what's not ideal. It's reforming online. That's what we are at the moment. And for the moment, we'll be for the next 12 weeks in the book of Acts. And we all feel a little bit disorientated, don't we? I do. It's disorientating uh, looking into a camera. I, I miss your faces. I miss you, Reforming Church. I miss you on a Sunday, gathered, seeing you, having this fellowship, singing praise and worship with you of our God and King. I miss morning teas, sharing coffee. I miss the kids being around. I miss the noises and the smells and the sounds of being with church. I miss it. I miss you. And this is not ideal. 
This is disorientating for me. I'm sure it's disorientating for you. I mean, the first couple of weeks, you know, we got to watch church in our pyjamas, but after that it gets a bit old, doesn't it? It gets a bit old. It's hard. And we're asking that question, what on earth is God doing in this? Like we've seen viruses and plagues come through before and it's affected whole regions of the world, but the whole world? And for how long? What on earth is God doing? For those first followers, those early disciples of Jesus, they had a very disorientating experience. Jesus, whom they followed for three years in his life and ministry, they had seen him executed, humiliated in this cross, this crucifixion. They'd seen the one who's supposed to be king now crucified and dead and buried and and the whole world has fallen apart. And that was hard enough. But their worldview at least had within its parameters the idea that there could be a leader who would perhaps die. And so as much as it was hard to believe that he was dead, they could believe it because people die. But now what's more disorientating is that he's alive. Uh, We saw this on Resurrection Sunday. Uh, For for their whole worldview um, is blown away because their worldview is our worldview. People don't rise from the dead. So if you're watching this and you've been a skeptic about Christianity and you just want to see what are Christians saying today? What is the church saying today? Is the church doing much more than just giving out handouts of food, which is a good thing to do? Yes, we are. We're giving you in your hand today the opportunity to, to, to know God's got this. He's in control of your life and he offers eternal life. That's what the church is doing. That's our primary mission. <coughs> and here we see those first followers, their disciples, have got a question. They've got the same kind of question that we have. You see, Jesus, uh, verse 4 in Acts chapter 1, while staying with them, the risen Jesus is staying with them, but they, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So, so when they come together, verse 6, they asked him, Lord, will it you, this time will you restore the kingdom to Israel? And he says to them, It is not for you to know the times and seasons the Father has fixed by his own authority. You see their question? They're disorientated, so they're wondering, okay, Jesus, you're alive, which has just blown us away. So now we're just trying to work out what's next. What's the plan, Jesus? Are you now going to restore all the promises in the Old Testament fulfilled in you? Is it going to happen now? Is the new creation coming now? Is it this time we will restore the kingdom? You'll bring your kingdom and it's going to be finally and fully realized in all of its promises? Is that now, Jesus? And Jesus says, in terms of timing, you're not going to know. Whatever season it is, a season of peace, a season of war, a season of virus, a season of health, you won't know the timing. And in that sense, it doesn't actually matter. But Jesus now gives, in verse 8, the plan. Here is the game plan. Here's what matters. It's Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Now, this is so important for us to get. If you want to understand the book of Acts, 
the acts of Jesus by his spirit through his apostles in the world. If you want to get the book of Acts, you need to understand this. The thematic verse for the book of Acts is Acts chapter 1 verse 8. This verse is kind of like the contents page of the whole book. Of all the 28 chapters, this is the contents page, is verse 8. Because it tells you how the book is structured. It tells you God's plan. It tells you what is Jesus doing in the world is Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And he says this, But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's the plan. That's Jesus' plan. That's what he's doing. You see, apostles, Jesus is saying, you'll receive the Holy Spirit, you'll get power, you'll be witnesses in, in these concentric circles. Jerusalem and the region of Judea, even Samaria, you know, like, like the Samaritans, right? They're going to get the good news about Jesus too. And then, get this, the Gentiles, the nations, to the end of the earth. And if they knew about Australia at that point, that would be where we're included too. Even Bendigo, even Bendigo, the good news of Jesus is going to be carried by this message, these messengers, to the end of the earth, to you and I. That's the plan. It's not plan B. It's not like God had plan A and and that kind of, well, got disrupted by the cross, and then he had to kind of raise Jesus back to life like it's some sort of video game and, you know, he's on his kind of second life now. It's not like, you know, he had to respawn and go, we need a new plan. No, no, no. The plan's always been, Jesus has been saying in his gospel that the Messiah, the Christ, is going to suffer and die and then on the third day rise from the dead and reign. That's the plan. In fact, we know this plan at the end of Luke 24, and we've seen it before in our Reforming Online sermon series, that plan can be neatly summarized by Luke 24, verses 46 and 47. Remember this? So if you go to Luke 24, so go back to Luke Gospel, and you look at chapter 24, um, we actually see in verse 46 of chapter 24, that verse is a summary of Luke's Gospel. So verse 46 Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. That's Luke's gospel, right? And then verse 47 is a summary of the book of Acts, the Acts of Jesus. Look at this, verse 47. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. That complements Acts chapter 1, verse 8. That is the plan. That the gospel is who Jesus is and what he's done. He died for our sins, rose for our hope to bring us to God. And that book of Acts is going to be proclaimed to all people starting in Jerusalem and going out. That's the plan. And this is the ongoing purpose of God to take the gospel to the end of the earth. Even if that gospel looks like it's going to be hindered, by calamity and disaster, even a coronavirus crisis, even if that gospel is going to be hindered by hostility, sin and hostile people, kings and governors and and presidents and prime ministers, dictators and just people who would 
actually be hostile towards this gospel, to try and suppress the gospel. God's plan, what Jesus is doing, is the gospel is going to go out unhindered. It's the series title for this term, for the 12 weeks in Acts. What we're seeing in the book of Acts and the Acts of Jesus is the unstoppable gospel. The unstoppable gospel. It cannot be stopped. It can't be stopped even if a virus stops the world. It can't be stopped. It still continues. Look at this, Reforming Online. The gospel is unstoppable. That's God's vision, 2020 vision for the world. When we were making 2020 vision plans as churches and organizations saying we're going to see X, Y, and Z done and we're going to do all this stuff... No, 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 it's not we doing it, it's Jesus doing it, and he's still doing it now. The gospel is unstoppable even now. That's God's vision. That's his 2020 vision for the world, is that his gospel is unstoppable. And it started his vision for the world for 2020 and beyond back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. That's the plan. Now, it's important for us at this point to see Jesus' plan. The acts of Jesus by his spirit through his apostles. And at this point, it's important for us to see that who these apostles are is significant for us as readers of the Bible. Because when we read the Bible, we are reading the apostolic word. And I want to say that because sometimes, and particularly in calamity or times of crisis, uh, there are all sorts of people that rise up that want you to follow them. And they might even come in the name of Jesus, but they claim things of Jesus, yet they really don't want you to follow Jesus' word in the Bible. They want to distract you to follow them. And sadly, sometimes, those people call themselves apostles, and that can often confuse us, as if we weren't disorientated enough. Then we have these people that are apostles. But I want us to see, and this is very important, the book of Acts shows us something significant about the apostles that we need to see if we're going to understand the book of Acts and the whole Bible. You see, functionally, it's important to see that Jesus' work of his word, and how does he work in the world? By his word. Because how does God make the world? By his word. How does he rescue the world and remake the world? It's by his word, the gospel. The gospel has been entrusted to those first eyewitnesses who are apostles, and this is so very important. Now, this topic comes up because after Jesus is given the game plan, we see in verse 12 of Acts 1, they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey, where they entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas son of James. And they're all there with one accord with the other disciples, except there's one missing. You know who that is? It's Judas. One of the twelve is missing. You see, they're all there, yes, in that upper room. And we read there that um, it includes disciples who are men and women that are devoted to prayer. There's 120 of them we see in verse 15. But in verse 15, 120 of them, Peter is the one who stands up to speak. And he says, the scriptures need to be fulfilled now at this point. This is a Bible thing. This is an Old Testament promise thing. And as he stands up, he says this in verses 16 to 20, David is the one who prophesied in the Psalms, and there's a couple of different Psalms quoted there, 
David prophesied, and we see in verse 20, uh, those two Psalms quoted, Psalm 69 and Psalm 109, David has prophesied about Judah's betrayal. David is the one that prophesied in the Psalms God's authored word that Judas would betray the Messiah and need to be replaced. Now, this is important because now they're talking about the qualifications for apostleship. See, Judas was one of the 12, wasn't he? There's 10 fingers and 12, you get the point. Judas was one of the 12. And it was important that there be 12. Why? Biblically, theologically, there are 12 tribes of Israel. There are 12 apostles. These are the new leaders of the new Israel, which is the church. And we see here that with Judas missing, it's important for those 12 apostles, yes, the whole of the disciples in that room, number 120, but not all of those disciples are apostles. Very important. The word apostolos in Greek means sent one. These are Jesus' particular sent eyewitnesses of his ministry, death and resurrection. These are the apostles. And so we see that they get this prophecy from the Psalms, from David, and they see these qualifications laid out in verse 21 and 22. So if you want to see an apostle, who is an apostle, they need to meet this job description, this criteria. Acts chapter 1, verse 21. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the final day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to the resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. Now get this. Listen very carefully to God's word. If you're going to call yourself an apostle... What criteria do you need to meet? You need to have been with Jesus at that time. You need to have been an eyewitness to his resurrection. I don't know anyone today who can claim that legitimately. And when I say legitimately, even the Apostle Paul was very careful to say that he can be called an apostle too. This is, a, again, a whole other sermon or a series, but it's an important point to make. When Paul is, is uh, well, he was Saul, and then he was converted on the road to Damascus, um, who does he meet of all people but the risen Jesus? And it's the risen Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, that he's an eyewitness of. It's the risen Jesus that he gets sent then on mission to be a sent one to the Gentiles. So that when Paul meets with their apostles, and we see this, we see this kind of language in Galatians, and we see this kind of language in 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 8, the apostle Paul says that I'm an apostle, one who's abnormally born. Like, I'm not like the other apostles. I had to go to them and get the right hand of fellowship like we're seeing Galatians. I had to go to them because they were initially like, hey, this, was, this, this guy was Saul. He was persecuting Christians. He was hating on the church and now he's going to be an apostle. And they had to kind of welcome him and accept him as an apostle. Yes, a disciple. I'm a disciple of Jesus, but I am not an apostle. Not in this qualification, not in this job description, not in this sense. This is really important for us to see. These apostles are sent ones of Jesus. So anyone else that calls themselves an apostle today, and I think there's a temptation for people to do that. Why do people do that? I think it means, listen to me and I'm important. Be very careful. Be very careful. You should listen to Jesus in his word. And a preacher, if you're listening to a preacher, 
you ought to listen to a preacher if they're expounding Jesus' word, if they're preaching Jesus' word, if they're teaching his word. That's how you listen with God's word, Jesus' word open in front of you. So some people will say today, well, look, I, I'm, I'm an apostle, little A apostle, not big A apostle, not capital A, just a you know, little A apostle. I'm a little A apostle because I'm just kind of, um, I'm a sent one of our denomination or something. Well, yeah. You know, you say tomato, tomato. Yeah. Why do you need to use the word apostle? Why can't you just be called a leader? Why can't you be called a pastor, a shepherd, or I prefer the word elder because that's what the Bible uses for leaders like this. No, no. In fact, why don't you just call yourself a disciple? You see, the apostles were very careful who they said were an apostle. Jesus is very careful because the apostles particularly are eyewitnesses of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And why is that significant? Because the apostles, who as witnesses, write the authoritative New Testament. It is God's breathed word through their pens that write this New Testament for you and I. They write the Bible. They write Scripture. Which means if you meet someone claiming to be an apostle, you're meeting someone who's claiming to have that level of authority. I don't have that level of authority. I don't write the Bible. I don't write the New Testament. I'm a preacher of the Bible, the New Testament, a preacher of Jesus. And so this is so important for us to get and see that it's the apostles who are the first sent ones, the eyewitnesses of Jesus, who show us Jesus by writing it down for us in this book of the Acts of Jesus, which then helps us understand fourthly and finally how to read the book of Acts. The book of Acts, one chapter 1, verse 8, has the theme, structure, and contents page all in this book. We see in the book of Acts that the Acts of Jesus work in these concentric circles. And throughout the book then, you can see those concentric circles form as those apostles go out. Yes, Peter is an apostle to the Jews primarily, but he also goes to Gentiles, to people of the nations. But Paul at times goes to Jews, yes, but he's primarily an apostle, a sent one to the Gentiles, to the nations. And as the gospel goes out from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the end of the earth, we actually see through the book, Acts chapter 1 verse 8 plays out in six growth summaries or six markers throughout the book. Exactly six times that we see Acts 1 verse 8 kind of repeated and shown, see, Jesus is doing it in the midst of hostility or the gospel potentially being hindered by all sorts of problems, sickness and death. Don't worry, Jesus is still working. And we see this six times throughout the book. In fact, there's six growth summaries, and I want you to actually, if you're going to underline your Bibles, you can go to them, you can write them down and go to them. Um, There are six growth summaries in this book. The first one is chapter 6, verse 7. The second growth summary is chapter 9, verse 31. The third one is chapter 12, verse 24. The fourth one is chapter 16, verse 5. The fifth one is chapter 19, verse 20. And the sixth one is chapter 28, verse 31. So if you want to get that again, look, this is online. You can play it back later. You can do that if you wish. But it's 6, verse 7, 9, verse 31, 12, verse 24, 16, verse 5, 19, verse 20, and 28, verse 31. And they're important. And basically, in paraphrase form, we'll look at them throughout this series, through this term of 12 weeks in this series. But basically, they each say, no matter what happens, 
through death, sickness, through hostility, the gospel continues to grow and increase. Notice this, not not we continue to grow and increase. It's not primarily about me, we, or this particular church or reforming church is just wonderful and special. No, 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 no. The gospel increases, which is wonderful. It's unstoppable. It's good news, the good news of Jesus, the good news of Jesus for you. And this will mean that helps us immensely understand what can be sometimes a, a seemingly complex book, a difficult book to understand. But it's not if you understand, it's the acts of Jesus as the gospel, the good news of Jesus, goes forth to the end of the earth. It's not hard to understand if you see that. There are times you come in the book of Acts to episodes and scenes that, wow, what does that mean for us today? What do those miracles mean or that special event mean for us today? And sometimes, again, uh, people, particularly in crisis situations, come along and say, I know what this means. It means this miracle can happen for us today in the exact same way or in a particular way. Again, I want you to say, be careful. Don't listen to the person. Listen to God's Word. Listen to the person if they're teaching God's Word and preaching it. But how do you know they're teaching it right? Here is what I find so helpful for the book of Acts. Years ago, and it wasn't 20 years ago when I was playing rugby, but a bit over 10 years ago when I wrote a, a thesis on the book of Acts, actually. Uh, I wrote a thesis on um, how to understand the book of Acts, particularly the miraculous in the book of Acts. Um, and, and, and here's the end point. You don't have to read all, all the 15,000 words of that. Just here's, here's the big idea. The big idea is this. To understand what is hard to understand, like miracles in the book of Acts, read the narrative. You see, in the book of Acts, the narrative always explains the miracle. The narrative explains and tells you what's going on. And if it's not the immediate narrative, it's the narrative as a whole, but it's also the rest of the book. You see, that thesis I had wasn't me having a, a brain explosion of a wonderful idea. We've known this for centuries. The Reformers knew this. There's a phrase, Scripture interprets Scripture. The Bible interprets the Bible. Not a special person over here who may call themselves a Pope, an Apostle, or whatever else they are. No, it's the Bible interprets the Bible. We saw this in Luke 24. Remember this? On Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. What was Luke 24 about? If you don't know, go back again and have a look. Luke 24, verse 44. Jesus is the eye of interpretation. Jesus is the one who explains and interprets the Bible for us. He's the fulfillment of the law, the prophets, the Psalms, the writings. He's the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And he's the one, he's the lens with which you read the whole Bible. And so that's going to help us a lot as we come to the book of Acts in our small groups, but also in our reforming online on Sundays. To read Acts, you read Christ's work through Christ's words. And his words are spirit-breathed and they're written with the authority of the apostles for us in the book of Acts and in the New Testament letters. And that is going to help us in this term as we see God's vision in the world. What, what on earth is God doing? That's how we started. What on earth is God doing? You want to know what he's doing? Keep looking at this series. Keep hearing his word in the book of Acts and the Acts of Jesus. But in summary, to start, by way of introduction, God is taking his unhindered word, even in a hostile world, to the end of the earth. That is what is God doing in the earth today. 
The gospel word is the hope of the world. It's the hope of the world, even and especially in a coronavirus crisis. You may wonder, when this is all over, will life get back to normal? Depending who you listen to, social commentators or news, opinion analysis, some say, yes, let's get there as fast as we can. Some say, no. I suspect it won't ever be exactly the same again. I hope it's not, actually. See, I pray that we see in the midst of this crisis, but at the end of this crisis, the only hope of the world, the only hope of rebuilding the world, the rebuilding of a church, the rebuilding of a city like Bendigo and a community, the rebuilding of all sorts of things we need in our society like community and love and care of others, the real hope of that is actually only the gospel. It's the gospel that changes everything. And we're going to see that in the book of Acts. And if you're a Christian, that means for you and I as believers, we know the game. We know the end game. We know what God is doing in the world. We know, unlike my rugby coach of 20 years ago, we know the one who knows all. We may not know ourselves what's happening right now, but we know the one who does. And we know he's got a plan. And his plan is for Jesus the message of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, to still go to the end of the earth in the unstoppable gospel. And we know the end game finally and fully because Jesus says, although we don't know in Acts chapter 1 verse 7 the times and seasons the Father has fixed by his own authority, we do know the Father and we know he cares and loves for us and we know the end game is Jesus is coming back. Jesus is going to return. And that gives us great confidence. Not only confidence from Luke's gospel that what Jesus has done on the cross and his resurrection is for us. He died for our sins. He rose for our hope. That is good news. That's gospel. So that we can repent and rejoice in Jesus. We can repent and return to God. Turn to Jesus. Trust in him and rejoice in our salvation. That today you can know you are saved and safe with God. New relationship through Jesus Christ. But also it means for you and I who trust in Jesus, we are now empowered by the same Holy Spirit, empowered by him to take the gospel, the good news, to others, to this end of the earth. Even if it seems hindered by this social distancing and isolation, it can still be taken. God has provided so many means and ways for that to happen. Yes, there's internet. Yes, there's email, writing letters, phone calls, talking with friends on Zoom over dinner, all sorts of ways. But here is the primary way he's doing it. It's through you. Jesus is working in the world by his spirit through you. As you take the apostolic word, the Bible, and just open it with people. You could just ask them, how are you going in this crisis? How are you coping? How are you uh, understanding what's going on around you? And people have all sorts of answers to that, I'm sure. But it will be wonderful and eventual if, if you could actually get them to say, would you like to read the Bible with me? Like, let's have Zoom dinner. Let's do that. It's kind of fun. It's crazy. The kids are going nuts. There's food going everywhere all over their faces. And, you know. and yes, we can be tied together on the screen, but wouldn't it be great if even with the kids going crazy, we open a Bible and had a look at a bit of a passage, a bit of a Bible passage, just to see who Jesus is and what he's done. Because even with crazy kids at the dinner table or all sorts of distractions for us. The gospel is unstoppable. It's unhindered. And it's for you, and it's for our neighbours, our family, our friends. Which means if you've clicked on this and you're not a believer yet, you're kind of 
disorientated by this coronavirus crisis. Well, so were the first disciples and so are we as disciples of Jesus. But we know the one who's got this. Do you? Do you want to know him? Do you want to know the one who's got the plan for you? So you get to see this too. You're sitting here at this end of the earth, perhaps feeling more like you're at the end of the earth in our isolation. But see this, repentance that is turning back to God for the forgiveness of your sin is being proclaimed to you right here, right now. And you can turn to God. In a moment you can pray with me and pray a prayer of turning back to him and receiving his forgiveness receiving new relationship and salvation, that even in the midst of this crisis you can know the one who is the Christ, the one with the plan, the one who's come to save you. Would you pray with me? Would you turn to Jesus and trust him? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come to you today to hear your voice in the scriptures, to see what you're doing on the earth today, even to the end of the earth, even to our little end of the earth. And we see now in this grand plan that the only appropriate response to be on the winning side of all of this, however we come out of this crisis or if we don't come out, to see that the opportunity now through the good news of Jesus, is to repent, is to return to you and to rejoice, to trust in Jesus too, to have our joy in Jesus, knowing he's got this. And so we pray, forgive us for ignoring Jesus. Forgive us for living our life up until now like you didn't matter. But now that we see In this disorientating life, what really matters, we see Jesus. We trust him. Help us now to live for him, to be a disciple, a learner, to learn from him. Most of all, to find our comfort, our confidence, our certainty in him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.